We will be in Matthew 1, verses 18 to 21 this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity that we now have to look at the scriptures before us. And as we study this short passage having to do with your birth, we ask that you would help us to understand and see the, the wonder and the beauty that's involved here. Help us also, Lord, to understand that this is this was a grace of God being demonstrated mercifully in incredible ways. And so we thank you. We thank you for coming. Thank you for coming at this time of year. And we just pray that as we study this morning, we would be filled with joy because of who you are and what you continue to do in our lives. We thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Please be seated. There's a young man who uh, fell in love with a young lady. They, they were you know, in love with each other all the way through high school. And as they graduated, they uh, he went into the Army, and uh, that had been his dream and his goal. And after basic training, he came home and he proposed to her, and they decided that they would get married when he came back from his first deployment. And so uh, he's going to be gone for about a year. First they rode an awful lot back and forth. And then as time went on, that became less something that they did. And and he's thinking, well, you know, we're both busy. I'm working less hours. She's working and planning a wedding. And anyway, he finally comes home after the tour, after his tour of duty. And he goes to meet his fiancée and talk with her. And it turns out that... uh, Things had been very strained between them because she was expecting a child. And um, so here he is, coming home to marry his bride, and his bride um, is expecting a child. And, and, and she said, listen, I, I love you. I made a horrible mistake. I sinned. I've, it was a, I was lonely. It was a one-night stand. And just let's, I'd really love to marry you. Would you still marry me? It was her question. You know, it's kind of what happened to Joseph, isn't it? You know, he's waiting. He's got a one-year time period. He's supposed to be waiting for uh, the time to consummate his marriage with Mary. And um, and then something changed, all that. Let's jump into verse 18. Um, Joseph has already heard about the fact that Mary is with child. And um, verse 18, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Um, Now, the fact that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit is not common knowledge. Okay, Mary knows that, and now Joseph's being told that. But in the normal scheme of things, this is not something everybody knows. In fact, nobody knows this. So she's pledged to be married. There's an engagement. Normally there would be a, a you know one-year period of time. They would be engaged, and then there would be this year long. Um, and one of the things that was going on during that year was to prove the, the purity of both of the, the people as they were getting ready for marriage. Um, <clears throat> now, as we understand marriage customs, at the end of that year then, there would be depending on the family, a certain kind of ceremony. Sometimes it went on for several days. And then eventually the husband would take his wife home to the home that he had prepared, and they would become husband and wife. Okay, So that's kind of what would happen. Um, 
Now, if someone, someone became pregnant beforehand, there's all kinds of things that could fall into place. Um, they, I mean, um, the extreme would be to demand that she be punished, uh, and the ultimate punishment there would, would, be, uh, would be death. Um, it could be just the, the sense of putting her away and not having anything to do with her. Uh, if that is done, that, that's a shameful thing and something that she would live with, and she would not probably be able to get married after something like that. And so Joseph is thinking all this through. He knows that this isn't his baby, you know. He, he, he knows that because he, he knows himself at that point. And, and so he's wondering what happened. She went up to see Elizabeth and to be there for the birth of John the Baptist. And, and in that time period, his thinking is she was with someone. Verse 19 says, But Joseph, because Joseph, her husband, and they're called husband and wife, even though they aren't living together yet. That was part of the cultural thing. Because Joseph, her husband, was righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Again, different laws than what we are used to. But when they made those vows to each other and they took that one year of separation, they were technically married. Bridal prices and things like that may have all been paid. And, and so now they're just waiting for that day, maybe the feast day, the consummation, all of that. And Joseph just said, well, you know, I can't go through with this. She's obviously been with someone. and and um, But he did not want to see her hurt in, in horrible ways. It says he was a righteous man. He didn't want to disgrace her or cause her to experience a lot of shame, although there was going to be some shame with, with this. His desire was not that it would be extreme. And he certainly did not demand Old Testament law to be, you know, put in place here. He wasn't demanding, you know, his right that she would be executed for her sin. Um, why didn't he denounce her publicly? After all, if you want to think about it in that sense, he was the victim. He didn't do anything wrong here. Um, you know, if, if you're looking at it from human eyes, Mary did something wrong and, and has harmed him. Um, Mary had been unfaithful to him. Um, but he cared enough about Mary that he wanted to kind of give her a way out of this without bringing all of the wrath of everybody in the village down upon her. Um, one of the reasons for that is that he was a righteous man, and we're told that. He, he, he obeyed God's rules and God's laws. And, and, and um, to marry her at this point, with her already being pregnant, would have been an admission of his own guilt, because no man would have married someone who was expecting a child if it wasn't their child. That just wouldn't have been a cultural thing he would have even considered. And so on one level, Joseph saying, it wasn't me, I'm divorcing her, clears him of all wrong and clears him of any kind of, you know, subterfuge, people thinking badly of him. Um, <clears throat> but it does at that point then open Mary up to even more disgrace and murmuring and complaining. and, and uh, So he wants to do this quietly, and the way he would have done that was basically just with a couple of witnesses um, and then basically say, okay, we're done, nothing else has to happen, please, you know, go your way and I'll go mine. So that was kind of what he had in mind. It was a, it was a kind way of handling it, considering the culture and the times. But he considered it, thought about it. In verse 20, <clears throat> after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, so now all of a sudden you have this lineage 
Now, he's not going to be the father of Jesus in the sense of biologically, but he's going to be the father of Jesus in the sense that he's there raising him, and he is of the lineage of David. He said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So now he's got the information that he did not have previously. He had no idea that God was doing something unique and special in Bethlehem and even more in Mary herself. And so now he, he hears this, he sees this, and, and it explained everything. Uh, it, it, it essentially, he's able to say, oh, she, she didn't have an immoral relationship with somebody. She didn't go out and, and do something sinful and and again stop and think about what he's having to believe here okay now it's an angel talking to him although he is in a dream and yet it must have been so vivid he understood the reality of that and he, and he wakes up and he understands that Mary had not been unfaithful she had been faithful to her vow to marry him and that this was had nothing to do with her being immoral in any way love the fact that he accepts that I mean, he, he accepts that big time. Um, it, this isn't something that he goes and says, well, I'm not sure. I'm giving a second opinion. In verse 21, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place, verse 22, what the Lord said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. And so I love the fact that now the angel saying to him, hey, listen, you need to understand Mary had nothing to do with this. She wasn't immoral. She only said, Lord, do with me what you want to do. That was her response. And the child in her is because the Holy Spirit caused that to happen. And so now there's just that whole sense of, okay, now you've accepted this. She will be having a son. You're to give his name Jesus. And Mary had been told the same thing. And it's, he will save other people from their sins. And then I love the fact that he goes on to say, the angel goes on to say, listen, um, this something's been prophesied forever. Go back and look up Isaiah and you will see that it says that the virgin will give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, God with us. And so you've got this amazing, wondrous things that are ha- coming together in a, in a very powerful way. Uh, I love the fact that uh, save his people from their sins is such a big part of this. Name him Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. And, and then the other side of that, too, is that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Um, and, and so there are two statements that are being made here. Uh, the first one is, um, go back one and if you would, Daryl, please. I, I went too fast and didn't jump. There we go. So the name Jesus specifies what he does. The fact that God saves. That's the first thing we see here. You know, name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And, and that's a the big, big part of what he's saying here. Um, <clears throat> and then the next one then is the Messianic title, which came from Isaiah 7, um, is Emmanuel. The Messianic title is Emmanuel, which specifies or spells out clearly who he is, God with us. And so, on the one hand, he's the Savior. On the other hand, he's God. On the one hand, he's come to offer himself as the ultimate sacrifice. On the other hand, he's with us in every way all the time. 
So he came to, to live and die and be a sacrifice, and he came also to be with us. Now it's interesting that Matthew starts this gospel out talking about the virgin birth, uh, talking about Jesus being born, and, and the prophecy quote from Isaiah 7.14. That's where Matthew starts this whole process with, with Joseph. Um, and how and Messiah will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So very early in Matthew, Jesus is presented as God with us. Now, he's still a baby at this point. He hasn't even been born yet. But even when he's born, the whole idea is this is Jesus, the, the Messiah, who is also Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew ends his gospel. He starts his gospel with that whole statement of Emmanuel is God with us. And then he ends his gospel. I thought this was kind of cool. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Jesus is now ascending up into heaven after his, his burial or his death, burial, and resurrection. And he goes, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. God with us, Emmanuel. Started way back at the beginning and it continued even as he ascends into heaven. He says, you don't need to worry. I'm not here physically with you, but I am here with you. I am God with you. Verse 24, uh, going back to Matthew 1, Joseph woke up and he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. He took Mary home as his wife. Isn't that incredible? I wonder how many people would have talked themselves out of this once they started thinking about it. Seriously. I mean, you know, who's going to believe this? And yet, here's Matthew. I mean, Matthew is a, is a godly man. He's very sincere. The angel speaks to him. He accepts it. This incredible thing that nobody's ever heard of before. He accepts it, and he does what he's been told to do. He said, you need to take Mary as your wife. Okay, he gets up and he goes over and he says, hey, maybe they'd have a meeting with mom and dad and Mary to kind of talk this through a little bit. But Mary went home with Joseph. She didn't stay by herself with her parents anymore. And that's what Joseph did. I mean, he got in gear and did what God told him to do. Go, bring Mary. She is your wife. And so all that might have been planned in the sense of a ceremony or a feast or anything like that, none of that takes place. You know, now they are officially married. And, and whether or not the people think that uh, the fact that Mary was pregnant was that they couldn't, you know, kind of wait or that there was something else going on. They probably all thought, oh, well, they just obviously they blew it. And so better get them married now and get this over with. And so here they are. They're, they're walking into marriage with a whole bunch of people wondering. And yet the two of them, both of them, their eyes firmly focused on God, saying, this is what God has called us to do. And they step out and do it, an incredibly difficult thing, which they both they both did. It's interesting that Joseph broke with tradition, um, but the, the reality is the tradition wasn't what God commanded. God didn't say, okay, now I want you to do all these things which traditionally you would do. He says, I want you to take Mary as your wife. Um, this is a whole different thing that's going on here. And she's expecting a child because the Holy Spirit has caused this to happen. Now the people of Nazareth uh, had to have been thinking, you know, and um, <clears throat> they may have thought that Mary was immoral. Matter of fact, there were a good many that probably did. 
Uh, there are others who in that same vein would have been thinking Joseph was an idiot for marrying her. Uh, in the culture of the time, then you just, you didn't do that kind of thing. And people in Nazareth thought Joseph and Mary were both immoral. So either Mary was immoral and Joseph's okay with it, or they were both immoral and they're just kind of, you know, legitimizing their immorality by getting married. Um, that would also make Jesus kind of a, have a cloud over him as he's being born. We need to kind of remember that. Um, Matter of fact, in, in, in Mark 6, verse 3, there's some people speaking about Jesus, and they said, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't he Mary's son? Is it kind of this implied, um, <clears throat> kind of a, just kind of a slam on, on who Jesus was. And, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, aren't they his sisters with us? And they took offense at Jesus. We get to verse 25 now. We're kind of piecing these things together as we go through Matthew. Um, Verse 25, he brings her home. He becomes his wife. She becomes his wife. Verse 25, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. And and really interesting here... um, Several things that just kind of jumped out of me as I was studying this this week. He said, so he brings her home. She's already expecting, she's always going to have a baby. And, and it says that he had no union with her. He didn't consummate this marriage. It wasn't until after the birth of Jesus that they were physically able to consummate their marriage. But stop and think of what that means. Uh, on, on one level, what he's, what he's saying is, and, and, and think about this when you think of theology other place, other religious systems may teach. He had no union with her until. Okay, there are some religious uh, groupings of people out there who would say, well, no, that was it. She never, she never really, she married him, but never really, you know, didn't consummate anything. Well, it, this verse is real clear on that. Okay, he didn't have any union with her while she was pregnant before Jesus was born. After that, the marriage went on normally. And so just kind of, just with a couple of words, you see all kinds of things that are really laid out very, very clearly. Uh, so he had no union with her until she gave birth to her son. And of course, they gave him the name Jesus, and and um, <clears throat> it's just one of those amazing and wonderful things. And that's what we celebrate, the wonder of that here Christmas Eve. We'll be thinking through some of what that meant on that that night that Jesus was born. Now, to answer any doubts about the conception of Jesus, um, Matthew's making it very clear. Mary was still a virgin. Um, <clears throat> Matthew explained that Joseph had no relations with her until until the baby was born, and that then they lived an, a normal, a normal married life. So Jesus had to be born a virgin. That's why that had to happen. And that's the prophecies in Isaiah. A virgin will conceive, and she will bring forth a son. That's why Joseph, understanding Scripture and understanding the commands of the angel, knows I can bring her home. She's my wife. This is not my child in the sense that I am its father uh, biologically, but I am here to do what God has called me to do, which is to raise this little one, to raise this son, to provide for Mary. And then, as God blessed later on, other um, sons and daughters that they would have. So what do we learn about Joseph? There's a bunch of things here. If you want to do a great study, just there's not a lot out there, but you know, jump into your concordance or whatever and just study Joseph. 
He's just one of those very quiet people doing amazing, incredible things. Now, Joseph was a righteous man. That's the first thing we learn about him. He was a man of integrity, uh, upright and honorable, a man who loved and followed God's word. He, a man who was trying to be as kind as he possibly could to Mary um, and still maintain the fact that he, he was innocent of anything that shouldn't have happened there. So he was a righteous man. He was a compassionate man. He really cared about Mary. Otherwise, he could have really caused a whole mess of things to happen for her, none of them good. And yet Joseph wasn't like that. He wasn't trying to put blame or shame on Mary at all. And once God told him what was going on, he especially didn't want there to be that in in her life. He's a man of faith. Uh, He believed the angel. Maybe he had a chance to also check, you know, what, what does that prophecy back in Isaiah say? And he also believed Mary, because Mary is the one who also told him, hey, you know, I'm, I'm expecting a child, but it's not what you think. He was obedient. He did not hesitate, but did exactly what he was told to do. I love the fact that he has this dream from the angel. He gets up and goes immediately to Mary's home. I, who knows how long that discussion took, what happened in that place. But he came home from that home to his home with Mary, and she became his wife. Um, courageous man. Uh, knowing that nobody would believe their story. Is there anybody in the first century who's going to go say, Oh, okay, that's awesome. I get it now. No, I'm, you know, they're just as skeptical, if not more so, than we are. Remember, it's been 400 years of silence. God hasn't done any spectacular things. And now this, you know, a little small town in the backwater, nowhere, and, 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 and Joseph's trying to say, oh, yeah, this is, this is God doing this. So a man of courage who was willing to stand, stand with Mary through all that was going to happen. Now just in application, again, I'm talking about Joseph a little bit more. Joseph <clears throat> was a righteous man. He was a compassionate man. This is a phrase that I I thought really maybe speaks well of him. He cared more about Mary than himself. He wanted to be able to be who he needed to be for her. He wanted to bring her home and and take her as his wife so that she could be have a child born in 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 a in a good way in in a family and with a husband. And so he was giving her that opportunity and also his attempt was to put aside all of the murmuring and all of the shameful things that had been said about her. Um, he knew that feelings were not a good indicator of right and wrong. Okay, If his feelings were what he went on, he would have walked away. Because he had to have felt deeply offended that she would do this, and a number of other things. You know what? Why should I believe this? This is ridiculous. Nobody's ever heard of this. And yet he accepts what he's being told. And, and on one level, he has to realize that even though he may feel betrayed, and I'm sure he did when he first heard, he may have felt betrayed. And he may have wanted to demand payment of some kind, some kind of retribution. But he didn't. And he was obedient to God. And... um he welcomed Mary into his home, and he took her on as his wife, and took any shame and things that were happening, took them on himself, rather than them being poured out on Mary. So remember, when he does this, he's protecting Mary in a lot of different ways. And one of them is 
She's my wife. This is our child. And, and just moving forward in that direction. Believe the truth about Mary. That was a hard truth to believe. The angel told him this is God's work and God's going to confirm this message because of the angel that you're hearing here. And Joseph believed the truth instead of his feelings. Yeah, who knows what he may have felt? We're not told that, and I, it's my speculation. I'm, I'm, I want you to know that. But it's it's a pretty normal thing to be thinking in the ways that I just mentioned. You know, when your fiance suddenly has is with a child and it's not yours. Um, many people struggle with feeling kind of an application here: feeling fear, or thinking that they're losers, or feeling that they're unloved or unwanted, or feeling they just don't measure up, or Anything you want to put in there? Um, many people struggle with feelings. I, I struggle with feelings. I'm sure you do too. And one of the things that really struck me in this passage is that the feelings weren't what they went by. They didn't go by what they felt. They actually lived by what God said. Um, Joseph initially, I'm sure, felt betrayed and hurt and who knows what all else, but the minute he heard this is God's doing, he said, okay. And he believed the truth instead of his feelings at that point. Um, and, you know, we need to live in light of the truth of God's Word, too. And so many times we, we may think, well, this is, this is what I've got to do. I, I just, you know, and, and we get all riled up and, and uh, you know, I feel so alone or I feel unloved or I feel these things, so therefore I'm going to, and, and we do something that, that isn't at all right. In Galatians 2.20, in one of those great verses, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me. And how do we know that he loved me and loved us? And gave himself for me. That's how we know. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's individual. Everybody in this room, he did that for you. He did that for, for, for you. So how are we supposed to live? Well, by faith, certainly not our feelings. Joseph shows us the truth of living by faith and not by feelings as he says, okay, this is what God said. This is what the angel said. This is what I'm going to believe and this is what I'm going to do. It's interesting. I, one of the phrases that just strikes fear in my heart every time I hear someone use it is the face, I have peace about. And then they say something. And most of the time it's okay. But I've heard so many people say, well, I've got peace about this. And, and it's something that's totally not biblical. Or I have peace about this. And they've just told the biggest lie you've ever seen in your life. You know, and I've got peace about it. Or I've got peace about how I'm going to live with my girlfriend or my boyfriend. Because, well, you know, we prayed about it. And we have peace about that. And you sit back and say, wait a minute here. You're saying you have peace about something. But it's because you're making that peace exist. That's not God's peace. God doesn't give us peace when we're involved in something that is against His Word and against His will. Um, I, I have been in situations where I've had to tell someone, you know, you, you're, you say you've got peace about doing this, but look at what this verse says. 
you know, it's, you may think you've got peace. This is not going to last. Because you are really blatantly disobeying God's word as you step forward in this direction. That's a real hard thing to say sometimes. And when I have to say those things, it's with a lot of prayer. Because I don't want them to be received as a sledgehammer on the head. Which is what happens a lot of times. I want it to be received as... A caring comment from someone who cares about them, someone who loves them. And God was calling both Mary and Joseph to obey in an incredibly weird and strange situation for them in that time and in that culture. Second Timothy 2.15 says some good things. I, I love this verse. It's a great verse that our kids say all the time every Wednesday. Do your best to present yourself to God as an approved worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. That's what we're called to. Um, we're called to present ourselves to God as someone who's approved. Approved by what? Approved by being in God's word and having the Holy Spirit work in us and shape us and change us. And, and, and a worker who is not ashamed because he's seeking to obey and to live out the truths of God's word. One who correctly handles the word of truth. Who isn't just going to go by, well, this feels good, this feels okay, so I'm going to do it. And and I know the Bible probably doesn't agree with this, but I I feel real peace about this. Yeah. That is so hard. Joseph teaches us to measure everything by God's word, not by how we feel. That's really important because uh, our culture tends to be a feel-first culture. What we feel is so important compared to what may or may not be true. There's another implication here. I love the fact that Joseph's faith and obedience were linked um, <clears throat> linked to his obedience. I just want to quickly go back. I'm, this kind of overlaps a little bit. It really struck me. Joseph was a man of obedience, and one of the ways you see that is he took Mary as his wife right away. He did what God said, and he did it immediately. He was a man of obedience, and he named the baby Jesus, just like the angel commanded. He was a man of obedience because he obeyed the Old Testament law. There was the circumcision that took place on the eighth day, and then 33 days later, the presentation at the temple. All of the things that had to be done, he did. And why did Joseph obey all these things without complaining? Because the proper response of faith is obedience. I say I believe, okay. Am I going to act out in that belief what God has asked me to do? I say I believe, I have faith that God is fill in the blank. Okay, great. What steps are you taking to move in the direction that God is leading? Obedience is seldom easy, but it is always the correct response of faith. Let me say that again. Obedience is seldom easy, but it is always the correct faith response to God. I want to respond in faith to God is going to require obedience. It doesn't matter what it is. There's all kinds of areas in all of our lives where we may come face to face with something and say, Okay, yep, okay, I get it, God. I understand. And I love Joseph as that example of a man who was obedient in every way. 
just to kind of encapsulate that with a statement. Faith and obedience should walk hand in hand. Faith and obedience should walk hand in hand. I say that I believe. Great. Am I obeying? That's the call that we all have. Say that we believe. Fine. Then we need to, we need to do that. That doesn't mean that life is simple or easy. Uh, Joseph and Mary did not have a simple, easy life from that point on. Even with all the goodies they got from the three kings, who came about two years later, by the way. <coughs> Had to get that in there. Um, even with those gifts, they disappeared very quickly as they tried to live in Egypt. And then they came home and, again, very simple, simple living. But they believed and they trusted God and they kept doing what God asked them to do. Habakkuk 3.17 is maybe something that they understood and knew. Had they been aware of the, the prophets and some of the prophecies from way back, this might have been one of the ones they really understood. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Now that is a description of complete and total uh, loss of everything. This is an agricultural society. You've lost all your crops and all of your animals. They're gone. They're done. There's none of that. Okay, so that's the picture that Habakkuk is saying. Even if all of this comes true, and he was living in a time where it had been true for many of them. So even if that is true, verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. <clears throat> this is incredible. Even if everything goes wrong, I mean totally wrong. We're not talking about just a little wrong. It is devastatingly wrong. Even though there appears to be no hope, they're looking up, they're saying, well, there's no olive tree going to grow overnight, and there's no you know, crop going to come up here in the next week or two. Even though I have nothing left, and no hope of seeing anything, I will believe in the Lord my God. I rejoice in Him. He is my Savior. And I love this phrase, the Sovereign Lord is my strength. The God who knows, understands, and is over all things and understands exactly what's happening in my, on my farm and in my country and in my area. He knows exactly what's happening. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. Not the fact that I can grow good crops. Not the fact that the cattle and the sheep are doing really well. When everything just kind of falls apart, that's when we turn to God and even more trust, saying, Lord God, if you don't come through, we're done. The sovereign Lord is my God. Just kind of put this in bullet form. I will continue to rejoice in the Lord. Love that. I rejoice in the Lord. I will continue to remember that God is sovereign, the gracious, merciful controller of all that is. That's my sovereign God. And I will continue to trust the Lord for strength. 
I will continue to submit to him in all things. How can we do that? Well, by continuing to trust God. Why should we do that? Well, because when we say we have faith in God, that should be followed up with obedience. One of my favorite missionaries is someone no one's ever heard of. Um, sometimes when, when we tell missionary stories and we tell of, you know, the Frank Drowns of this world and, and some of the others who have been martyred, <clears throat> for me many times anyway, it has always kind of left me with, well, I can't be like them. You know, they're, they're these giants of the faith. But what I love is coming across those people that I've known who nobody knows about but who have been faithful and just kept on living and doing their jobs. Anyway, this is uh, a lady that I met in Ecuador and worked had a chance to work with her a little bit. Her name was Mary Skinner. She lived and worked in the jungles of Ecuador and did about 25, 30 years worth of ministry in a little town called, a little, actually, village in the middle of the jungle called Puyupungu. And <clears throat> I just she did medical work, she did dental work, she did school teaching, um, and all because she was obeying God who said, I need you to go here. This is a place. And I'm sure she, there were times that she wondered, Lord, why, why aren't you sending someone to help me? Lord, why aren't you? And yet, as I talked with her over and over many times, I mean, her, her thought was, you know what? Sure, I'd love to be married, and sure, I'd love to have co-workers and all those kinds of things, but I don't. And that's okay. I have God. That's awesome. And I think the thing that struck me with that is how much that applies no matter who we are, no matter where we are. No matter what's going on, God's saying, I want you to faithfully follow me. I want you to obey my word. And I will be with you. I am the sovereign God. And I love <clears throat> the fact that Mary invested all those years in pulling teeth and sewing up wounds teaching people how to read in Quechua and Spanish, and leading those Bible studies and helping to just plant a small church in the middle of the Ecuadorian jungle. All because she was willing to say, Okay, Lord, that's where you want me to go? I'll go. And she served her time. And when she finally retired, an awful lot of Quechua's would come to Christ as a result of her. Many, many others <clears throat> were taught and encouraged. And even the leadership of the church was encouraged and taught and brought more into leadership even by her, by her her ability to encourage and build them up. So we're called to believe God's word and we're called to live out his, his in obedience. And that may mean that we take a stand and refuse to be part of the gossip that's going on at work or wherever. Or that we forgive that person who harmed us, no matter who started it. And and if it's something that's incredibly serious, we may not have a relationship, but we forgive so that we don't have the bitterness hanging over us. Maybe we are called to reach out to those new people at church or neighborhood. Maybe we are called to work more diligently to represent the Lord wherever we go. Maybe for us it will mean watching carefully the words that we say because we want to honor God with the words that we use. Obedience to God's word is the right and proper response to faith in Jesus Christ. 
And those of us who claim him as Lord and Savior are the, need to be saying, okay, Lord, how? Help me. I want to be obedient. Kind of bring this back full circle because we're talking about Joseph who was brought into a situation to be the, the father of Jesus on earth. In 1983, uh, Woody Rowland and Kevin Brown and myself, we were working with a lot of college students, men, and we decided that one of the things we wanted to do was to bring together a, an outward-bound kind of program where we would take them out, and none of them had ever heard of this kind of thing. We put a backpack on, and you go climbing up in the mountains, and, and you do, uh, you know, we would do scripture and memorization and other things too, but part of it was just getting them out there to see things and do things that they'd never done before. And so we were taking a... a, a kind of a survey trip to see if this one area we wanted to go to would, would be a good place to go. And so we parked our truck. It was a little place about 18,000 feet where we started. And then we did some climbing around, got up on the on the um, ice there that's that was in the mountain and um, spent some time there. And then when we were totally frozen and ready to come home, we got back down and got in the truck and eventually got it started. <clears throat> And we started down the road that we'd come just a couple of days before. We'd come up this road. It's a one-lane dirt road, you know, way up on the one side and way down on the other. And came around a bend to an area that was in the shadows, and there was snow over that road. I mean, just, and, uh, you know, their idea of snow being taken care of is that the sun will at some point take care of it. <clears throat> and so we didn't have shovels or anything, and we sat there, and we knew there's no way we could sit there until, you know, it all melted, because it might not. And so we said, okay, let's, let's try and get through this carefully. And so um, I was driving, and the other two guys got out to walk behind and push if necessary. And I remember <clears throat> stopping before, I, I, I was about 200 feet of this really deep snow, and then it was clear on either end. And I said, Lord, if I make a mistake here, this is going to be really a mess. And I realized that if I slid down the side of that hill, that, you know, <laughs> could be really serious. So we prayed, I got in the truck, and then just trusted God and kept going and kept going. We had a couple touchy moments there, but it just, we got through on the other side, and, and we praised God for that and, and went on. And as I was thinking about that event, I'd never thought about this before. I was thinking about that event and how that could have gone a different way if God hadn't been watching over us and caring for us. That the reason we had been asked to write a will and to designate who would raise our kids was for that kind of thing right there. <clears throat> and I remember when Karen and I wrote that, we picked someone, and at the time didn't think much about it. It's what you got to do. You got to make sure that if you don't come back, that your kids have someone to care for them. And then I just went all the way back full circle. That's what God did with Joseph. He chose Joseph to raise his son. What an incredible thing. What an amazing thing that God would say, this is the kind of man that I want to raise Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. May we, each of us, constantly be thinking through those kinds of issues and thinking through what does it mean to be obedient and how can I walk
in the way that you want me to. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonderful truth that's there. Thank you for the wonderful examples that you give us. And Lord Jesus, I hope that today each of us will leave this place with a deeper understanding of the fact that we, when we say we believe in you, that also comes together with we want to obey you. Please, Lord, make that more and more a reality in my life, and I pray for my brothers and sisters the same thing. I ask this in your name. Amen.